Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us on Twitter, you can reach us at EPL Roundtable, or you can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Jake, and get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends, and I'm a Newcastle fan who writes for a variety of websites. Hi, good to be back with you, Kevin. Good to see you again, Jake. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin. I'm a Spurs fan uh, based in Belfast. And uh, in a previous life, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, speaking of Spurs, I figure we should probably start there with the insanity that was that City Spurs match. I feel like this is maybe the second or third time already this season where we've had a match um, that you know, was was between bigger clubs that maybe you'd expect would be a bit of a letdown uh, and then wasn't. Uh, and this match I thought was was uh, particularly fun. Uh, even as somebody with, an, with, with a vested interest in who would win, I just thought there was a lot of really uh, exciting football played and then also a bunch of nonsense that seems to always happen to prevent City from, from beating Tottenham, including a controversial decision at the end on the advantage on whether or not it should have been played for Holland. Uh, so, Jake, we'll start off with you, the impartial party here, uh, to, to start with your thoughts on the craziness that was that City Spurs match. Yeah, I, I, I do think it was a good game um, to watch, but I also think that it, it was, like, good in periods, and then there was periods where it wasn't, like, it wasn't like, a, like the Chelsea, the Chelsea um, Man City game from a few weeks ago. I feel that was just, like, all action. It was constant, whereas this game... It, there was a lot happening, but it also felt like it happened in like patches. And then mm. it was a, sort of like the last 15 minutes of the first half, not a lot happened. Then there was that period, sort of like 55 to 60, uh, no, 55 to 70, when not a lot happened. Um, it was just a bit weird. It felt like, um, yeah, the city sort of just went down gears and sort of just lost concentration. Spurs came into it, sort of changed, became a little bit more um thoughtful in the way they were playing and then just became a lot less thoughtful in the way they were playing. It, it was a bit it was just a weird game um it, it was it was entertaining but yeah it was uh it was just weird um i think you could tell from uh manchester city that they've sort of been stung in the last few weeks um you could see that they're sort of in a, a period of poor form um and even for them like a period of poor form it's still like they're still playing very well but you can see they're slightly off it um and with spurs i thought um played really well i feel like but it's been consistently very good for the last few weeks. It's been very unlucky. Um, it's probably a symptom of the playing style that, that causes that as well. A lot of the, the goals they concede are just from sort of individual mistakes or overplaying. Um, it becomes a little bit cliche to say that about Spurs, but it is probably true. Um, mm. And yeah, it, it was, but no, it was, it was a really good game. And I think it sort of, um, yeah, it adds a little bit more uh, spice to the Premier League, sort of um, Manchester City dropping points and Tottenham sort of, Avoiding a loss, I think it's important for them. Um, with two big games coming up over the next week as well, I think it's going to be 
really difficult for Spurs over the next week. Um, just play, they're not used to playing the the games every three days under Ange, and I think that maybe that it with the injuries it's, it's all gonna sort of come to a head. Um, especially two games that are, are going to be difficult. I think it's West Ham and Newcastle. Like it's two difficult games. Obviously, the West Ham game is a big one for Spurs fans um, and the emotion. And and the one time we've seen um, Tottenham play three games in a week this season, I think they lost lost in the Carabao Cup in the first, yeah, first round. So yeah, um, and with the injuries as well, I think it's going to. It, there might be some more hurt for Spurs fans before it gets better with results. But yeah, today is definitely a a really good result and something that um, I think a lot of the pundits are talking about afterwards that could sort of be a, a point that you look back on as a, as a really sort of big point in the season um, and maybe that some of those other players can step up and perform to the way that Ange wants them to. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all that, Jake. I think, you know, the the funny thing was when, when we took the lead today, first of all, I wasn't really surprised because we always come out of the blocks, uh, you know, flying, but when you think about it, the last three games that we've lost, we took the lead and still lost. Uh, and also, I, you know, when you think about it, the, the last time we played at the Etihad, we, we, we were 2-0 up and lost 4-2. But at least today under Ange, you, you, you knew that we weren't going to try and sit on a lead. And thankfully, we took the lead so early that it opened the game up completely. And, um, you know, today it was always going to be a crossroads game, you know, com- coming into it with uh, with three th- three straight defeats um, and and something like 20 years since we'd lost four straight games in, in the Premier League. So uh, whatever the outcome today, it would have set us off, I think, down down two very different paths. But, but of course, the irony being that our our good record against City in recent games or in recent years, that was due to us playing in the old way, which which Spurs fans were generally fed up about. So the wonderful thing about that game was just, you know, our resilience, the resilience in the team, the, that, that same resilience that we showed against Chelsea and that, you know, what really was a circus of, of a game. Um, and and it made today a, a great game. In the, I mean, you know, great entertainment for for a neutral as well. I suppose, you know, get it out of the way. If we're honest, the game probably should have been um, uh, done and dusted by by half time, and and City will certainly, you know, be ruining those misses. I mean, what what has happened to Holland um, at, at the last couple of games? But by the, the the same token, you know, the ref should have played the advantage in that closing stages um, incident with uh, with the challenge on Holland, as as Jake pointed out. But overall, I think it was a just a wonderful, a wonderful performance to to break the three game losing streak. And and I think if we had lost badly today, you know, panic I think would have set in among among some Spurs fans. But um, <clears throat> you know, any time you score three at City, you, you'd be for, forgiven for thinking that you'd come away with at least something. And I think on reflection, we were we were good value for the point. But I think the broader the broader important point, I think, is uh, that Ange stuck with his philosophy of attacking football, um, even against what you know people regard as a superior opponent. In fact, especially against a superior opponent. Uh, as I say, that farce of a Chelsea game at least showed that the resilience and commitment that comes from the players buying into what he's doing 
that's what had been missing in the past few seasons. And I'm very simply Spurs fans have embraced it because it's because it's good to watch. You know, the, um, the as Jake mentioned, yes, we've, we've got a couple of tricky games coming up. And, and, you know, as we all know, success in the Premier League or I suppose probably more importantly, survival in the Premier League um, requires a, a degree of pragmatism. Uh, and that seems to be something that Ange has yet to embrace, especially given our, you know, injury and suspension situation. But but I think today was particularly sweet um, since, you know, he, he to an extent he'd been pilloried in the media all week about how he needs to walk back his uh, his tactical approach. So I'm particularly happy for him tonight and uh, and for, for all Spurs fans who st- stuck with that today, my God. <laughs> yep, definitely some good points there. You do have to wonder if the injury crisis at Tottenham was due to a monkey paw situation to ensure we'd continue to get results against City. Um, (laughs) I personally uh, ascribe to that theory. Um, But yeah, Jake, I do agree with you that there were periods where um, either one team was just dominant, especially stretches of the first half where it was just all City and they had a couple chances off the post and Holland missed a couple of chances. Um, I, I do think the second half is where things really improved for Spurs. Uh, and there was a lot of um, hmm, frustration at uh, the idea of Hoybier coming on, even in place of Heel, who hadn't done much, although he was crucial in the, the outlet pass that led to uh, the first goal. Um, but I thought that actually allowed uh, Basuma to get forward a bit more. It allowed Kulisevsky to move back to the wing, uh, where he's a bit more, his physical presence is a bit more needed. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I thought that was a pretty big turning point. But I do see your point that it did kind of ebb and flow throughout the match. The whole thing wasn't amazing, but some of the moments in there I thought were. And I think even Pep Guardiola touched on it, that especially in the second half, um, when we came out to play football, that it can make football really enjoyable to watch. Uh, and also, uh, that's about as close as Tottenham are probably going to get to a match where the other team um, is playing as openly as City do. They, Of right. course, they have the confidence to do that. They have the possession to do that in most matches. But for Tottenham not being in the Champions League, there are not many teams that are going to give us that kind of space um, to hit them. I, Steve, I totally agree with you. We aren't playing straight-up counterattack football, which has definitely caught them out in the past through some. But some of our best chances did come through counterattacks, even though that wasn't how we were trying to build things. Um, but yeah, anyway, very interesting match. Uh, the results of it, we'll see. Obviously, in the table, it it won't make Spurs look that much better. But as teams cycle through uh, playing Manchester City away, more teams will drop points, and maybe that's when you'll you'll see that effect. Um, But also, uh, both of you kind of touched on some of the injuries that we've been dealing with. And that's the thing that I really wanted to dive into. Um, So Ben Dinnery, who people may recall from being kind of in the FPL space, he also runs PremierInjuries.com, cited this week saying that there's been a 15% increase in injuries this season compared to the previous four seasons. At present, the average Premier League team is missing about seven players due to injury, which is over a quarter of their squads. Spurs and Newcastle both missing more than 10 players, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, I was curious, why do you think we're seeing this spike now? Uh, And if you think there's anything that can be done to improve it? Yeah, I I think the the big point of why there's probably so many now is is because of the World Cup last year, sort of the the, the longer season. Um, obviously, they, they did have a, a bit of a bigger break this summer, but um, 
even so, um, you know, these things pile up and they sort of, it catches up to you eventually. And I feel that's, that's probably, that's probably the big reason. Um, I think the, I think the Newcastle one's a little bit of a misnomer that it, um, why we've got so many injuries. I think that we have had more injuries than we have in the past, um, but a lot of the injuries we've had are not these sort of soft tissue hamstrings or, or groins mm. um, and thighs. We've we've been really unlucky and just some of the injuries we've had are just, are just freak accidents. Like Dan Byrne jumped and landed on his back. Um, that, that's just very unlucky. It's, it's, a, it's an unusual injury for a footballer to get. Harvey Barnes broke a bone in his foot when he was pushing off to run. Like that's, that's that's again just very unlucky. It's, it's a freak accident. Jacob Murphy dislocated his shoulder. Nick Pope too. Again, not not frequent football injury. They're, they're not the type of injuries that, that you get for load and, and playing lots of games. They're just unlucky um, scenarios. Um, I think. So yeah, we've we've got unlucky in that that point. And then over the last few weeks, we're getting more of these sort of um, soft tissue injuries. I think mean, we've got um, long stuff out with a with a hamstring injury. Um, and I think that. Newcastle now are just just a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of injuries because we're playing the same eleven players every week. So if you're going to play them every week, three times a week, they're more likely to get injured. And it's it's not because of any big situation in football. It's because we've got so many injuries. We're obviously going to be more likely to get more. It's, you're not. It's not a case of we've got so many injuries. Other teams are going to get them now, and we're not. It, we're now more likely to get them than any other team because we're playing the same. 11 players every single game. So, yeah, we're more likely to get them. So, yeah, I think, I think with Newcastle, it's, it's, a, it's a more, yeah, it's a, it's a more niche reason. But, yeah, on the whole, I think it is just the World Cup, the amount of games. Um, again, this time of year, the weather, I think, probably doesn't help um, with muscles. Um, yeah, if, if you're, you know, in the, in the cold, in sort of temperatures around sort of zero to... To five, you're more likely to, to get an injury, sort of pushing off for a run. Yeah, I think there's lots of um, reasons, but yeah, I think um, I think the main one is it's the World Cup and just the amount of games. Um, and yeah, the weather. It does seem that this time of year you do get get more injuries. And again, as we come into the Christmas schedule, it's not only the the teams in Europe that will be playing three games a week. It's every team in the Premier League. So yeah, we'll probably see more injuries over this period too, but. Yeah, I think the World Cup is probably the, the biggest and easiest one to, to sort of point to as why this is different to other seasons. It's it's really really interesting, and and those are those are some actually quite shocking stats when you look at the you know the collective effect broken down across all teams. Um, definitely a spike for sure, uh, as you say, Jake. I'm sure the number of games, uh, the increased frequency of games, uh, has something to do with it. It would be. It'd be interesting, I think, to see how that breaks down into numbers of players injured during games and injured in training. But, uh, you know, as far as the managers picking the teams, it, it, obviously that doesn't matter. They're, they're still out. And obviously, you know, we're one of the, those teams um, currently suffering with a, a spate of injuries to our, our best players all at the same time. But but this shows, I think, that that all teams can have a run of games where you know they're going to find themselves stretched and and fixing that comes down to uh to squad depth and that has always been a always been a huge challenge for us um i mean uh, you know even eric dyer to, uh was withdrawn from today's squad apparently with a, an unspecified late injury but but then again he was only originally on the bench 
while we were pers- persisting with playing two fullbacks in the center of the back four. So <clears throat> I think injuries can only go so far in explaining the impact on a team's overall performance. Um, I, I, I think, as you're saying, I mean, every every team deals with the impact of injuries in their own way. And, and I think as for any general measures that the league or the FA could implement apart from, you know, basic safety or training standards or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not sure how you broadly, you know, legislate for, for different teams approaches to training or their rehab processes. I mean, I mean, look at, um, look at the, the uncertainty surrounding how the concussion protocols are, are, are implemented. So, I'm not sure whether the spike will continue. Well, as Jake mentioned, the weather, and I think that's a very fair point. So we'll see after the Christmas period um, whether whether that sort of level of of injuries continues. Uh, I'm also not sure what practical measures anybody can put in place to bring those numbers down across the board for for every team. So, yeah, it's it's uh, as I say, it's an interesting set of stats. It's just a shame to see so many players picking up injuries, both on like a personal level and a professional level. Um, But Jake, you do make a good point that I do feel like there have been a fair few impact injuries that players have picked up. That's kind of getting lumped into this, assuming that it is those soft tissue injuries. So that is a fair point. Um, The one that just leaps to mind for me was that Benton core one last week where he, you Mm -hmm. know, he just came back from an ACL injury after being off since last January and in his first full match back for Spurs got an ankle injury thanks to Matty Cash. Um, it's just it's just bad luck. I, I do wonder if some of the the tiredness could be causing more impact injuries. Like if you're if you're more leggy and you aren't making it to the challenge in time, you're missing the ball and instead you're getting ankles or or legs and shins and stuff. But yeah, it, it's it's still a fair point. Just hopefully there'll be a reduction of of injuries. But like you said, I, I don't know how it happens without a reduction of matches and matches are where people make their money so it's hard to see either you know uefa or the premier league or anything like that doing anything they can to reduce the load whether it be internationals or cup competitions or anything like that um but yeah time will tell i suppose uh let's wrap up this opening section uh talking about ifab kind of talking about the the rule makers within the game they've now approved a trial for sin bins that would be used in cases of dissent and tactical fouls Obviously, plenty of both in that City Spurs match we were talking about earlier. Um, but uh, we'll probably have a better idea of what this will all mean after the IFAB meeting in March. But what do you generally make of the idea of, of the sin bin concept? Um, I, I think I'm, I'm probably just quite um, traditional in that any change I feel is a bad change. <laughs> and <laughs> it, 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 I guess it all depends on how it's brought in and the regulations. So we have to need to see more about it. I'm sure there will be trials in sort of lower, lesser competitions or youth age group competitions. That's normally the way they go with it. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like I kind of see the point um, in bringing in something like a sin bin for a professional foul because it is always annoying to see. But then if you take professional fouls or bring in a more severe punishment for them. Like it could have other consequences on, um, like it could have other consequences on the amount of goals we see or, or um, the way teams play. Um, maybe that teams won't be so aggressive and press high if, if they don't have that out anymore. Um, similar to like the, the new offside rule that they're sort of talking about. Yeah, it, it, it sort of, they sort of say, oh, this is going to lead to more goals, but then teams 
like Villa are not going to play at such a high line and then get caught out a lot more easily. Might see teams sit deep. So they all have sort of unforeseen consequences um, when they make changes like this. Um, yeah, it, it, like it does, I know it works in other sports like rugby, Leverson, and it seems to work well for them. But just this feels like quite a big change for football. Like it, it it's not just a, a slight change of the wording of a of a rule. It's a whole new concept. Mm. So yeah, it's difficult to really. Um, I I struggle to sort of want it myself, but maybe if it comes in and it's all done properly, it, it might bring so many benefits. And yeah, it might be a great thing, but. Yeah, I kind of want to see it and hear more about it before I yeah, really pass judgment. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I, I'm with Ange, I think, on this one. Uh, when he was asked about it the other day, he just said, bin it, mate. And uh, I, I think it would just uh, add to the pressure on refs uh, at, a, at a time when we're still, you know, working out how to get the best out of VAR, assuming that VAR is actually not going anywhere. Um, having said that, I don't have a problem with giving refs at the grassroots, grassroots and kids level um, another tool to help enforce their authority with with younger players. And because you know, you know anybody who's played the game at a, at, a, at a young age, you know that the thing kids fear the most is being told that they can't play. Um, so it was interesting. I I thought how when this in, issue came back into the news and, and the idea and in, in concept has been around for a couple of seasons, but when it came back into the news, there were plenty of comparisons with rugby, uh, rugby union and, and the people in rugby who, you know, pontificated about this all seem to be sure that it would improve football. Um, but obviously there's a different relationship, a much different relationship between players and officials in the two sports to begin with. Um, so the, the, the authority um, figures within rugby are, are treated, I think, with a lot more respect than, than referees are in football. Also, you know, as, as Jake said, it's, it's unclear really how it, would, how it would work in practice. You know, there's talk about, <clears throat> somebody has mentioned a, a, an orange card that's not quite a yellow card, but, uh, you know, what would constitute that if, if it's just for dissent and tactical fouls? You know, how do you define those offences and when they're different from offences that go beyond that? And, you know, how does that translate into a cumulative penalty, either in the game itself or in, you know, racking up disciplinary points for a player through through the season? I think where, where something like that might be useful, though, is I think in diffusing a situation where if a player is mad enough at an official to get a, to get a card, for dissent, if he's off the field for the next 10 minutes, it would at least offer a moment for, you know, the red mist to lift. So he doesn't, uh, you know, commit another offense straight away and the competitive balance of the game gets altered by by one team going going down to 10 men. I mean, for, for example, if you look at the Ollie McBurney red card this week, this weekend for Sheffield mm. United, uh, if he had been off the field for 10 minutes after that first elbow, he might not have committed the second, but, you know, who knows? And then, of course, neither of those offences would have would have fallen into the category of, ta- of tactical fouls. So uh, there, there's too there's too many uncertainties about the about the prospect of bringing something like that into the Premier League. But, um, but I don't necessarily have a problem with it in concept at, at lower at lower at lower levels. 
Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the, it remains that the, the biggest issue with discipline, referee performance, or any aspect of officiating uh, is consistency. And again, that's the same argument with VAR. Players le- need to know, you know, what the limits are for what they can do and say, and and you know what the consequences are when they overstep. Because for for a lot of players those decisions with VAR are out of their hands anyway. So they need to be empowered to know how far they can go before they cross a line uh, in terms of dissent and, and uh, what is likely to see them um, uh, ejected from the game. Yeah. I think those are some great points. And like, like it was said, we'll see how the decisions ultimately come through. <laughs> Managers certainly don't seem to be fans of it. As you mentioned, uh, Steve, with your reference to Big Ange. Uh, also, I think it was Sean Dyche that was commenting uh, about the impact this could have on injuries, the topic we were just talking about, where if players are running and they're asked to stop running for 10 minutes and then all of a sudden they need to get back up to match speed, could that cause like mm-hmm. hamstrings and the like to go? Um, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing. We've talked about this ever since probably our first season, like a decade ago, about how to handle these kind of edge cases and the orange card idea I think was mentioned, as was the, the Sinbin thing. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm a little surprised that it, it's gotten such negative reception. Um, not, not that it inherently should not, but I, I think uh, this is an issue that, that maybe just used to feel like a larger one and now is less. But like, there's supposed to be yellows for dissent this year. And obviously we saw a red for it already. But then in the incident we were talking about in the City Spurs match, if the referee's confident in the decision and he's surrounded by eight city players. Those should all be yellow cards. Right, um, right. So like part of it is not being willing to enforce a rule that has already been made to try to solve this. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we need an even more extreme version of it or if it'll just take time to adapt to it or if there just needs to be more um, encouragement for referees to give out cards for uh, dissent. But you know. I, I think, Kevin, it's a matter of balancing the referee's discretion about mm. what's likely to keep the game flowing and what's likely to keep him in control of the game. Because, you know, we've all watched games where you look at it and, and you think, ref's lost this because he turns around yeah. and like books three players for, for dissent, which is probably justifiable the day after, but it doesn't add to his ability to control the game at that particular moment. Yeah. I agree. Um, Okay, uh, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off with you talking about Newcastle. Uh, your match yesterday, uh, as we record, ended up being 1-0. Uh, but it seemed like Manchester United fans were not confident uh, that that should have been the result, despite uh, a late chance uh, on their side. I was just curious if you'd be willing to kind of talk us through that match and why there seems to be such disparity between uh, the result and how the two fan bases fell about it. Um, I, I don't know. I thought it was quite a... Win probably should have been more. Mm. <laughs> if anything, it was. Uh, it, we were, yeah, we were very good yesterday. Um, I think it, um, we were helped by being at home um, after Champions League games before we, we've gone away, and um, it has been a, a, a struggle to sort of raise our performance. We sort of were quite disappointing against West Ham, disappointing at Bournemouth, but yeah, was, we were helped by being at home. But yeah, we just. It just looked to me like it was two teams that one, one played um, with full sort of backing of the manager and were running and sort of putting in the effort and following the tactical instructions and, and looking fully motivated to play for their team. Whereas the other one, it just sort of looked like a lot of players that were sort of trying to a point. But you know they've got Man United have been pretty good in the last few weeks, but they've just been good because they've been playing teams where there's such a a huge talent advantage where you know they don't really have to play to any sort of tactical structure to win they've just got the quality to to get the ball and then just score goals it, it, it's that simple it's not there's not much sort of method to the way Manchester United play but when they come up against um teams that, that have that that have both talent and sort of the tactical setup they just look just way off it um yeah I think that's that's all it was yesterday um it, it's happened the last Three games we played against Manchester United that happened in the um, happened in the in the league last season at St James Park. It was, it was a very similar game. I think if you look at the, the expected goals of both games, it, they're pretty similar. The game pretty went went similar for for both games. It's just that day we won two 0 then we went away um, to them in the Carabao Cup where we made so many changes. But again, it was just one team was playing to a tactical structure and the other wasn't. So we managed to win that game. So yeah, and I think it's Ten Hag Ten Hag's record against. I think it's top eight clubs in the last sort of 12 months. It's really, really poor. So it just seems to be a, a, a continued thing for him. Um, and with Chelsea coming up uh, next to them, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that one goes. Um, because based on seeing them both up against Newcastle in the last week, um, I think Chelsea look a, a much m- more coherent team. Uh, I know they've got their own issues and they obviously lost to us by a bigger scoreline, but... For the first half of that match, it was very equal, and you'd probably say um, that Chelsea had the better of it in the first half, um, and then sort of Newcastle came and improved in the second half. But yeah, I, I just think with Manchester United, they just way off it, and it, it's very easy to say they could change the manager. Maybe they'll do that soon. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to work for Ten Hag there in the long term. But then it, it will just happen again. We've seen it happen with with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We saw it happen with Mourinho. Saw it happen with Van Hal. They they've all they all had periods where it was going well, and then it just fell off and. You have to look at the, the deeper sort of culture of the club and some of the individuals in that that dressing room, like Bruno Fernandes is the captain, but he seems to run around and when things aren't going his way, make lots of silly challenges, sort of move out of his own role, leave space. Um, yesterday, the only players from Manchester United that really came out of any credit um, were, were Harry Maguire, Maguire and Luke Shaw. Um, mate, obviously, the, the main new in midfield is very young. It's difficult to sort of attribute any of this to him, but he, he did look lost in the midfield. 
But yeah, Maguire and Shaw were, the, were their best players yesterday. And that's not to speak to volumes, especially the way Harry Maguire's been treated there. For him to be the one stepping up and sort of trying to, to do something. Yeah, it, it, it does look a mess for Manchester United, to be honest. And not ideal. Six losses already. You have to go down to the bottom half of the table to find another team with six losses already. That's Palace in 12th. Uh, so yeah, not ideal for them. Um, from a Newcastle perspective, and we talked a, a little bit about this on Twitter this week, um, you also dealing with your own injury crisis, but the results still seem to be coming. Just one loss in your last five in the Premier League. Um, and so yeah, I'm just kind of curious uh, how you've been able to kind of plug along uh, throughout all of those issues while like a club like Tottenham facing similar issues as one just one in their last five. Yeah, it, it, it is a really remarkable achievement the way we've been getting these results with all these injuries. Um, like it, it, it came to the point where before the international break, we had the Arsenal game, uh, we had the Dortmund games, and we were sort of playing okay, get, getting some good results, some not so good results. And then the Bournemouth game came and, and we were totally outplayed that day. We're lucky to come away with the score like we did. And in fact, like from that point, maybe we're going to go through a, a difficult run of fixtures after the international break. Our next games were Chelsea uh, at home, PSG away, and uh, Manchester United at home. And I think, you know, you look at those fixtures after the way we played at Bournemouth, and it did look like it's very conceivable we could have lost all three of those matches. But in, instead, we, we won two of them, drew the other one. Um, and again, there was a very controversial call in that game in stoppage time. We probably could have won all three. Uh, on another day, I think we were a little bit lucky in Paris, the way they had so many chances. But... Still, if you if you concede a goal in the last minute of the game to a penalty that probably shouldn't have been a penalty, yeah, it's quite difficult to take. And to do that with the same 11 players, like Eddie Howe made a few changes at Chelsea, but it was very late on when the game was already won and they were down to 10 men. Didn't make any changes in the week against PSG. And then yesterday, obviously, made, been forced to make the goalkeeper change. But then Matt Ritchie came on and stopped time and that was it. So it's basically the same 11 players that have done, played all those minutes three very difficult games in the same week one two of them and got a draw in the other one where they were very unlucky not to win like that's remarkable uh, and it's just a great sort of example of, of great coaching um great sort of togetherness in the squad um so yeah i think it's 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 a lot to do with Eddie how the way we've we've managed to see this crisis through and obviously it's going to go on for a while longer i don't i think there is sort of light at the end of the tunnel we're expecting long staff and barnes and wilson and Anderson back in the next few weeks, so that'll be good. But we've still got a lot of players missing, and I'm sure there'll be more that go down at some point. Uh, and obviously, Pope going down is a, another challenge to manage now. Um, but yeah, Eddie Howe, I think, is, is doing an exceptional job. Like, it's, I think he's doing even better this year than he did last year. I uh, still think even now he's not really given the credit that he deserves um, for the way the way he's managing. Obviously, there's a there's a big asterisk attached with the, with the money and the, the people that own the club, but. I don't think there's another manager in the Premier League, or at least there's not many that can that can improve a player on the coach it, or it, on the training ground as much as Eddie Howe. Like, you see Jamal Lascelles, he he's barely played last season. It looked like he was not going to play for the club much again. He's come in this season, or in Sven Botman got injured, and he's been exceptional. Like, he didn't look out of place against Kylian Mbappe during the week. He, he was very good. He, he looked good in that duel. And, and he. he He's probably now closer to an England call-up than he is sort of being sold by the club, which, which is crazy. Um, and it, there's so many examples. Like you could go down the Newcastle squad list; every single player has got better under Eddie Howe, and they're all performing way above the levels that anybody thought they could reach. So you have to look back at the manager at that point and think maybe this this manager is very special. 
Um, and the fact he's English is is even yes yeah, even nicer. But I still think he's massively underrated. Like, but to do what he's doing with this squad of players and what he's been sort of dealt with along the way of the injuries is really really remarkable. And yeah, I think it's all down to him really. Yep, very fair. And then just a quick one: uh, Who's going to be the goalkeeper? Do you think in in the absence of Pope? Yeah, I think it's a. Di- uh, I think it will be Martin Dubravka to start with. He's obviously had a lot more experience in the last few years in Carrius. He was obviously our number one before Pope came in. But at the same time, I think we've, what what makes Pope so important to us is it's not his shot stopping. Like he's a good shot. He's a very good shot stopper. Dubravka's not as good, but. Nebraska is still regular saving shots. I think he's sort of outperformed. He, he was probably in the top half of keepers when he played for us at, at shot stopping. So that's not an issue. But what, what will be an issue is the, his ability to come off his line and sort of, you know, come out, come out of his box and make defensive actions to sort of um, stop counterattacks. Pope's very good at that. People remember the moment against Liverpool. But that was like a, uh, that was an exception. He's normally very good. Um, and that helps us press high and play of a high line because we have that goalkeeper to come out. But I don't think we have that now. So it's going to cause us to reset the way we play. Maybe we won't be able to be so aggressive in the press. Maybe we won't be able to play as high up the pitch. But um, yeah, I'm sure Eddie Howe will deal with it. Like I didn't think he'd be able to deal with Sven Botman getting injured, and he did. And then all the other injuries. So yeah, he always finds a way. So I'm, I'm pretty confident it will be fine. It'll be Debrav good to start with. But I wouldn't be overly surprised if, if by... January, if the bracket, if it's not working, if Carrius is given a go, or if we do go into the market in January, depends how long Pope's out, but it does seem like he'll be out for most of the season now. Like a dislocated shoulder for a keeper is sort of similar to an ACL for an outfield player, it's a big injury. Mm. So I don't know whether we look for a more long term solution or if we go down the, the likes of David De Gea or Hugo Lloris, who knows? There are names that are out there that are more experienced that, that might be available. But yeah, um, I think it'll be the bracket to start with. but Come January, we might have a big better idea of whether they'll go to the market or not. Gotcha. Uh, well, best of luck with that whole situation. Um, Steve, we'll come to you now to talk a little bit about Tottenham. We already touched on the match this morning, uh, but I wanted to ask you about a very specific player who um, we signed off the back of the loss in the Champions League final, uh, played for us for a year and a half, went on loan multiple times, came back, has now had two fantastic matches in a row from my yeah. from my perspective, especially uh, in Madison's absence. That is Gio Lo yeah. Celso. Um, mm-hmm. I was just curious your thoughts on on what he brings to the team and why it seems like he's he's able to kind of keep the attack chugging. Where in that Wolves match, we just basically weren't able to connect to Sun or, or the yeah. attack in any meaningful way. Absolutely, I totally agree, and uh, and the Villa game as well. That you know. Um, I, I just wanted to pick up real quick on something that uh, Jake said about Eddie Howe making making his players better. And where I see Ange making each of his players better, and I include Lo Celso in that, and it's also harder for somebody who knows they're not one of the first choice 11, that they're only in the team because of the ravaging industries, a, a, injuries. rather. I think Ange makes them all better because he gives them this belief in themselves. And you and I have talked in the, in the past, Kev, about why can't Lo Celso play for us the way he plays for Argentina? And totally. basically, I, I suspect that's all that Ange 
had to say to him is show him some tape of of the guy playing for Argentina and saying, why can't you do this on a week by week basis? And obviously he's making his decisions on, you know, the squad that he has available based on what he sees in training. So to an extent, there are there are some players who are sort of on that bubble where they're kind of getting the benefit of the doubt because we literally have no one else in that position um, temporarily. But certainly Lo Celso, in terms of belief, in terms of you, you get the sense that he has this renewed belief in the fact that he is a good player. He he didn't suddenly become a bad player overnight. He was just, you know, out of, out of kilter with, um, with, with, with the vibe in the team or the vibe in the... Uh, in the rest of the squad, or maybe he wasn't prepared to fight for a place. I I don't know. We don't know what goes on. But again, as I say, I'm just happy that he's back. I'm happy, and I'm not happy that Madison's out uh, because Madison, as I have t- spoke to you about on many occasions, I think Madison was born to play for Tottenham Hotspur. Madison is essentially the player that we needed to get rid of Kane for, if you know what I mean. So for for Lachelso to come in and replace somebody as absolutely crucial to this project as Madison is, I think is a huge credit to him. And also, you know, don't forget the two goals that he scored. He's just who else is just you know prepared to put their laces through the ball? I mean, that's another thing I'm sure Ange has told him. You know, you get the space on the edge of the box, you get space in the D. Um, pretty much in every game you play. So just when you see an opportunity, just just have a have a whack at it um, because it can go anywhere. But I'm I'm happy to see him back. I'm happy to see him. I'm happy to see him happy. I think that's the important thing because that spreads through all the players that um, that he interacts with uh, in training and in, on match day. You you don't get the sense, and and maybe this is blasphemy on my on my part. Uh, Kev, but you tell me if you've noticed this as well, that after Harry left, there don't seem to be the cliques in the club that there may be yeah. used to. And, and maybe that's part of the explanation why uh, Dyer has sort of fallen out of favour a little bit. Um, having said that, Anne seems to love Oliver Skip, and, and Skip, as we know, was part of that uh, that uh, that. that uh, leadership group within the uh, within the first uh, team last season so whatever Ange is doing um and I know he's sort of juggling things at the moment on something of a shoestring because of the injuries and suspensions but if we have an upside as you have pointed out to this we now have you know one of one of the ble- best midfielders we've had for a long time and certainly I mean, we'll leave we'll leave Ndombele out of it. Sort of innately talented mid- midfielders, and the more choice that Ange has when Madison comes back from injury, uh, it it can only be beneficial to the team as a whole. So I'm really happy for the Celso. Yeah, that last point I think is is a profound one because without Bentoncourt, without Sar, without Basuma in January, the latter two due to Afcon, the former because of the ankle injury I mentioned earlier. Lacelso is going to be able to play that whole time because he can both play as the attacking midfielder and as a number eight. Um, right. So we're we're going to be leaning on him heavily, as well as potentially Hoybier and Skip, who, as you said, were both parts of that leadership team. 
Un, until the Celso gets injured. <laughs> well, let's 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 don't bring that <laughs> evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll go from there uh, to talking about the season at large. We just kind of touched on some of the issues we've been having. Obviously, the injuries, the fact that we're going to lose Sun for the Asian Games, we're going to lose Basuma and Sar for Afcon in the midst of this injury crisis. Um, obviously the start of the season, some Spurs fans, I wouldn't say us particularly, but some fans were thinking, oh, this could be the magical year. This could be the title. Then we lose three in a row. We have City next. People are assuming that's four in a row. Then, as Jake said earlier, looking at West Ham and Newcastle, is this going to be six in a row? Is Andre going to get sacked? I think those are the extremes. I think we can eliminate both of those to an extent. Where now do you think Spurs will end up being this season? Kind of in between those two huge swings. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is the, the battle of the extremes, isn't it? I mean, we, uh, I think a lot of people were relieved that we weren't in Europe at all this season. Uh, and I think that that has definitely, although I think you and I are on the same page and that, you know, whatever competition you're in, you want to compete, you want to win. But I was glad that we weren't going to be uh, having the fixture uh, build up that comes with uh, uh, with European competition, especially with, you know, Ange's first season, getting used to the team. Obviously, what has happened with the injuries recently has been a, a bit of a sort of a freak and outlier. Um, and and people also talk about Ange as being a second season manager, that that he actually gets to know the structure and gets to know the workings of the team uh, and the way they interact with each other in the first season and then, you know, takes it to the next level uh, in his second season. So, that's why what happens uh, in the next two transfer windows, I think, is especially crucial. Um, obviously, the, the winter window, uh, y- you don't know uh, who's going to be available. You know what what um, uh, scarcity of positions is going to be uh, is going to be there. Uh, but certainly, next at the end of this season, in the preparation for next season, I think that is the crucial moment for. Um, and I, I hate to say it because we say it every year with every manager. That's the moment for Levy to step up. It really is. He can't. He can't shirk this anymore. If you have a project and you believe in the project, um, we, I think we have the the manager that can actually build something now. And look at you know look at what we've done so far. Now's the time for Levy to put his his money where his mouth is. And that I think we've t- again we've talked about this on many occasions. That I think is his best opportunity to leverage the value in the club. Uh, with with an eye to a possible sale down the road, so I think in terms of where reasonably we we might finish uh, in the in the league this year, I, th- I think that the title is going to be between uh, the top three: Arsenal, Liverpool, and City. Um, and honestly, any one of them could win it. Uh, to be honest, it's the City aren't the force I think that they have been the last couple of seasons. But again, it's still early. I think that the, the Fourth and fifth, I think, will be between us, Villa, and Newcastle. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, again, you've got... I, I Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen with Manchester United. I really... I can't get a sense of how they move forward. I think Ten Hag is winging it at the moment. They're, they're, the body language, and, and uh, I'm sure Jake noticed it when he was watching the game yesterday, the body language in that exchange between him and Martial just seemed to be, you know, there's something deep-rooted uh, that's, that's wrong in that team. Uh, and I, I don't know what it is. And, and I hope Ten Hag knows what it is because the league benefits from having a, a competitive Manchester United. 
Um, so I think that's where we our reasonable expectation is probably anything from fourth to seventh. Uh, I think an awful lot is going to depend on the toll that it takes on teams around us who are playing in Europe, and uh, the fact that we're not is is I think an advantage to us. But but let's we need to shake these injuries, and and it's important that uh, uh, Levy signals to Postacoglu that he's actually going to support him over the next uh, couple of transfer windows. So, I, I, generally speaking, I'm I'm very happy with with where we are given the setbacks that we've had. Um, and uh, you know, when you go to the stadium now, I was last there for the Fulham game. Uh, when you go to the stadium, the sense of optimism around around the ground with the you know the Spurs fans uh, are prepared to accept some setbacks, and I think this is why those three um, those three defeats prior to today um, were particularly uh, hurtful because especially the Villa defeat because that's a team that. As I say, you're, you you sense that we're going to be competing with them for uh, for the top six for top six spots. Um, that was hard to take. But then again, in that Fulham game, uh, Kev, we didn't play well and we and we won. So you know, you're grinding out victories as well as uh, as dealing with uh, setbacks. Um, I mean, I think the Chelsea game was an outlier. I don't think I think we've learned things from that that I think Ange probably would have preferred not to uh, contemplate, but um, but they're there. Uh, and and I yeah, as I'm as I say, I'm happy with where we I'm happy with where we are, but I will be disappointed if we're not moving on to the next level this time next season. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there about the support for Ange because I do agree that I, I think we've established that he's our manager and that he should be backed, and we are now obviously heading into the winter window. Uh, so very easy segue, Jake. We'll lean in with you. We're only a month away from the start of that January transfer window. I'm just curious what positions or players you might be keeping an eye on, especially since, like us, you're kind of dealing with your own injury crisis. Yeah, I think it's going to be... Um... Quite a busy one for Newcastle in January. Uh, unfortunately, probably, they probably don't want to do as much as they need to do, um, but kind of needs must with with the injuries that we've had. And so yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting. I think we probably need um, another central midfielder. Obviously, the, the person we spent a lot of money on in the summer, he's definitely not going to be available for us the season. So got to got to make an addition there. Although sort of the way Lewis Miley's been playing is. Sort of lessen that need, but I think they'll still do it um, because uh, Joe Willick is, is similar to Benton Curry. The fact that I think both players didn't have a preseason probably means that they're more susceptible to injuries and they both suffered setbacks. So, yeah, we probably can't rely on him this season um, fully. Um, and then, then you know, we're, we're probably a Bruno injury away from that. That would be the injury that would kill Newcastle if, if Bruno got injured, uh, and that's why Tenali was brought in sort of sort of cover for that. But obviously, Tenali's not available, so. I think they'll make a signing in 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 that position, and Calvin Phillips probably the, the, the easiest transfer link to make, and maybe that's one that will happen there. Uh, I'm not sure, um, and I think they'll probably look to add a, a forward as well, just because both Isaac and Wilson both seem susceptible to injuries, um, and it's okay if I think it's okay if they're both fit because you can still manage them both. But when one goes down, the other one's likely to follow. So to have another body in there. Uh, sort of like a younger striker, maybe one that could cover on the wings as well. That would be one they'll look for. Um, and if you'd have asked me sort of back in September, I'd have said we really needed a centre-back. And that, that felt like the thing we missed out on in the summer. Um, but Jamal Lassell has done so well. Um, and sort of 
we're seeing Kraft and Dummett sort of come in in cup games and look okay, but maybe they'll look back in that position as well. And then obviously goalie, depending on how the next month goes. There's a lot of positions where Newcastle will be looking at. They won't do stuff in every single position because that would be a bit crazy. But I could see them maybe bringing in two or three. Um, so just to help us to get through to the end of the season. It all depends on what happens in, in competitions. If, if we're going to be in the, the Carabao Cup by then, maybe, maybe we will be, maybe we won't be. Whether we're in Europe, we've obviously got a chance of being in, in either the Champions League or the Europa League. If we drop into the Europa League, we're going to have games in January. Um, sort of that early point, the, the playoff stage. So, yeah, we've got to, got to take that into consideration as well. Yeah, I think if we, we do have European football, they'll they'll be looking to, to add some players. But yeah, I think two or three, but definitely a midfielder would be top of the list. And then sort of a, a, a versatile forward and a, a centre-back and, and maybe a goalie. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I don't think they want to do a lot of their business. So the thing we, we know about this Newcastle, um, the way Newcastle do their business is they're not just going to bring stopgap signings in for the point of it. Like if they find one that will work, they'll... they'll or somebody that they like, they'll bring them in, but they're just not going to bring in anybody. They'll they'd rather do nothing than do the wrong thing. So, yeah, if they can bring forward sort of a long term target, they'll look to do it like they did with Gordon. He was somebody they really wanted, and they brought that forward. But if there's people like that not around, maybe they'll they'll stick rather than twist. But yeah, I, I think we'll see a couple. But yeah, we could really add in any sort of position. With we, we need players everywhere, really, ideally. But. Yeah, I think definitely that midfield is the, the midfield is the main one. I, can de- I definitely think we'll sign a midfielder. Yeah, and then Steve, for Spurs, we're also obviously having issues in the midfield, but also we've always been kind of a centre-back light at the back, as people have seen yeah. with us starting full-backs the last two weeks at those two centre-back positions. Uh, obviously, we need some of both, but which would you prioritise most highly? Oh, well, I, I think uh, there are a couple of things up in the air. I mean, obviously, we don't know uh, what Van de Ben is going to be like when he comes back, uh, how, how deeply affected he's going to be by that injury. I mean, obviously, the back four, as you say, <clears throat> looks like the area that could and should be bolstered. Um, and there, you know, there have been rumors of, of several players that we might be interested in. I mean, Bournemouth's Lloyd Kelly looks like he might be um, uh, a reasonable uh, target. Um, and again, with Johan Lang coming in and doing the, the scouting, you don't know what his network has thrown up for uh, for options in that in those positions. <clears throat> again, as we were saying earlier, um, the, the the winter window is is kind of uh, one of those fickle uh, situations where you just you don't know who's going to be available, what their what the appropriate price is going to be for 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 players who may or may not be out of contract the following season. Uh, all of those things are considerations, but um, I think it's up to Ange and, and the people that work with him on identifying targets to uh, to prioritize. But yeah, I mean, I, definitely the back four is, is something that we're going to need to look at. I mean, I, our problem, Kev, as you know, no matter who has been in the in the manager's dugout, uh, has, has always been, as we as we were saying, squad depth, and and you know, our first choice eleven. Uh, could could live with uh, the best teams in the league, but we just don't have the depth to be able to bring players off the bench that that can change a game. Uh, and and you know you know at the start of the season it's it's going to be inevitable that you'll you'll run into a stretch of games where um, where the decisive factor is literally just who's going to be available for for selection. And it's especially damaging when you have a settled back four or centre back four pairing 
um, and then they're both out at the same time. So you know we have to we have to address that both for the immediate uh, um, short to medium term, but also for for the long term. So uh, Kelly, I think, would be a good option for us. But you know w- whether we end up addressing that overall lack of depth as as a bigger issue, I think, rather than just bringing in the odd uh, reinforcement remains to be seen but i think that is a task as i was saying earlier that's a task for the end of the season for next season to try and you know build the squad that that Ange wants that that plays the way he uh, he intends them all to play because i don't think that's going to change yeah all good points um we'll see what Tottenham do allegedly there isn't much money left and we spent a lot of it in the summer but uh, I'm not really sure where all that cane money went in theory, uh, but uh, both sides pretty constantly lying about what that total number finally was. <laughs> but uh, we'll go from there lastly into uh, match previews where Jake, you're going to be facing Everton. Obviously they have the points deduction, but they've been in pretty decent form despite that. Uh, what are you, what are you expecting in that match? Yeah, I think it's going to be a very difficult game, um, but it's one, one week. We'd have to hope we can continue winning. We played there last year. I think we won forward. It's quite comfortable. Uh, and that was when everything was sort of doing okay. But it's going to be a t- tough atmosphere. Um, and when, you, when you've got the amount of injuries we've got at the moment, you sometimes think sometimes it's just going to be a game too far. And it, we're probably going to go with the same 11 again, obviously, with a, a change keeper. So, yeah, it's... Maybe we'll, maybe we'll drop points. I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to tell. I think if we play to, to the... The standard we played in the last three games, we should beat Everton. Um, Manchester United went away there last last week and, and won quite comfortably. I know Everton had their chances, but sort of they were managed to create chances too. And I thought yesterday um, they didn't look that great against Nottingham Forest. They, they were the better team, but I think it it, it was quite poor quality. So well, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, hopefully we'll get the win, but at this point, like with the amount of injuries. We got you if, if we do get a bad result, you just you can't really criticize anybody. It's one of those things, so we'll see how it goes. I think we'd rather sort of go out and put, put a big performance in next weekend against Spurs, but you know, you can't pick and choose your games. Um, and yeah, if we get through, yeah, I, I, I just can't call it if we play how we can play, we'll win, but yeah, with the injuries and everything, yeah, I can't predict it. And, and away from home this season, we've not been as good, so yeah, hopefully, we just get a good performance and we get something from the game. But yeah, difficult to call. I'll, I'll say we win, but yeah, I'm not totally confident. Gotcha. And then Steve, uh, we've already teased it a couple times, but we're going to be facing West Ham at home. We do get Romero back, but we are obviously still missing a lot of key players. What are you expecting in that one? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's still going to be tricky. And and uh, it's always tricky playing against West Ham. I mean, it's their cup final, for goodness sake. So I'm actually glad this one is at home with uh, with the injury list that we have. So uh, I, I actually just pick up some on something that Jake said about Everton. And I think the, the interesting thing about the points deduction you know their, their appeal has been lodged. They, you know, there's nothing uh, nothing the players can do about that. Uh, about how that ends up when they step on the pitch. And I think they played really well yesterday against Forrest. And I, there's, I, there's definitely still time for them to overcome this setback. Um, that made, I think, three, three away wins in a row for them yesterday. They're not good. I don't think any team now should assume that they're going to be rolled over, that they're going to lay back and, and take that. Um, and obviously you have a situation where, you know, punishment like that can end up motivating the players and Dyche is a sort of manager that can, you know, harness that that 
uh, us against the world thing. So I think going forward, uh, people, teams shouldn't underestimate Everton and and how they now have something to prove, which is really interesting. But yeah, for us, for West Ham, uh, it's one of those anything can happen, really. But I uh, I do fancy us. Uh, the, the following game, though, against Jake's Newcastle, that is going to be a significant, significant test. Uh, I think it'll turn out to be a very similar game to today. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, City being the sort of team that we can have a good open game against. I think Newcastle are exactly the same. It would not surprise me that that one uh, is another high-scoring game. Um, but, yeah, I, I I think it's a matter of just picking the team for each, for, you know, for who's, who, who can walk, who can walk at the end of the day and, and try and get them, uh, try and get them motivated to play against, um, uh, against whoever's on the other end of the field from us. So, yeah. Yep, yep. Cool. We will wrap there. So uh, if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for listening. And get me on Twitter at JakeJeff with two N's. I'll post anything I'm involved in over there. Thanks again, Kev. Thanks, Jake. Uh, nice conversations. Uh, always good to be on. Um, uh, I'm Steve McGookin, and uh, you can get me on uh, Twitter at Steve McGookin, or if you want to read my uh, non-football writing, uh, it's at statesofplayproject.com. And Kev, sorry, just before I go, um, I haven't been on with you for a couple of weeks, but uh, just a just a note on Terry Venables, who who passed away this uh, this week. Was it this week? Last week? Um, you know, widely acknowledged one of the the best tacticians of all England's managers, and uh, really got the best out of players like Paul Gascoigne and Teddy, Teddy Sheringham. So, and and, and just a, a, a library note: uh, in 1972, when he was playing at QPR, he wrote a book called "They Used to Play on Grass," uh, in which he it was a novel in which he envisioned the future of the game in terms of uh, things like classic pitches and and football hooliganism and that sort of thing. He was he was definitely years ahead of his time. So just a, a, a nod to uh, to the the influence of Terry Venables. Yep, very nice words from you there. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. And always, if you have any questions, you can email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Uh, big thanks to you two for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.